Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Risk and Reward, the golf podcast from Winning Edge Investments that aims to keep you on the right side of the betting ledger. Rod Murray's my name. Good to have your company as the biggest first place checks in both men's and women's golf are played for this week and the US Tour heads to the deep south for a tournament essentially owned by one of its own. We'll chat about all that and where the value betting might lie at the various tournaments around the place uh, shortly. And when I say we, I mean our resident expert tipster, John Evans, a golf professional for almost five decades, a betting aficionado for even longer. JE is unquestionably the man for the job when it comes to finding long odds returns on the fairways of the world. JE, I know you adverted disaster with the engine light being on in the Mercedes last week. Uh, Perhaps that's an omen that we've turned the corner and the results are going to start coming our way. I'll give you a chance shortly to tell us what happened last week, but first, a welcome and good to be chatting with you. Thank you, Rod, and you'll be pleased to know that when I got to Dunedin, having driven three and a half hours with a warning light on, I got to Dunedin, got some, turned off the car, got some petrol, turned it back on, the warning light had gone, there was nothing wrong with it. Quite bizarre. Hey, this is the problem with electronics. The old cars, JE, you could open the bonnet, you could see what was going on. Don't know whether you've opened the bonnet of the Merc, but I doubt you could even get your hand in there, let's, let alone know what any of it's. Uh, I'm glad to hear it, mate. That could have been a very expensive investment. It was $700 to change the spark plugs. That's how hard they are to get to. Jesus. Well, that's right. It's an hour's worth of labour just to get to the things and an hour's worth to put it away. Anyway, let's not talk about that. We're getting. Uh, getting distracted. We're going to talk about the results uh, from last week in just a minute. But before we do, we've got the uh, got the homework. We'll have a look ahead to this week's betting as well. Uh, we've got to mention the raison d'etre for this podcast even existing, and that's the Winning Edge Investments Golf Newsletter, which is your weekly, uh, how should I call it? It's your chore that you have to do. Perhaps it's your life's calling. Who knows? I know you sweat about it at all hours of the day and night every week. The newsletter gives all of your tips and selections. The podcast listeners only get a few. Now, normally, the newsletter is $150 a month. But for those who listen to the show, there's a reward for putting up with us, a 25% discount for the life of the subscription. Put GOLF25 in the promo code section when you sign up and watch the discount kick in. Now, of course, even at $112.50, that's not money to be sneezed at, JE. So to sweeten the deal... And because they've got so much confidence in the product, Winning Edge offers a profit guarantee. You won't get that in many places. Go check it out at the links in the show notes below or head to winningedgeinvestments.com.au and find the golf newsletter. Is it your uh, weekly? I mean, all hours of the day and night, I see you up and on Twitter. Are you doing your research? Is that what that's about, JE? Keeping an eye on the golf? Because you really do have to watch the golf if this system, quote-unquote, for want of a better term, is going to work. You've got to know who the players are that are in form that might have been missed and who's at value odds. You've really got to follow it, don't you? Well, I think the trick is is to follow the the, uh, the qualifying schools, the Corn Ferry Tour, the Challenge Tour, and find the kids that are on the way up and also find the guys who perhaps had lost form. And the best example is Brennan Todd, who lost form and was at 1,000 to 1 and wins. And then uh, he wins again. So, of course, he won the 1,001 the second time. But effectively, it's it's just it's a numbers game. What I'm trying to do is go through, work out which players are over the odds and back those ones that are over the odds. And, and, and whilst it might be, well, why aren't you trying to find the winner? Well, we do find the winner. That's the crazy part about it. The, win- the, 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 the players don't know what odds they are when they tee off. And so their odds are irrelevant. In fact, it's the strangest thing I've found, Rod, is that the times that I've tipped guys at under $100, they've nearly all missed the cut. And yet the ones I'm tipping at 1,000 and 700 and 800, they do make the cut. So, so there's, it, it's, it's, it's all about providing value to the punter so that over the period of a year, they go home with a tidy profit and... Uh, and smile on their face. And that's what research is about. It's, you know, it, I think people get, they misconstrue what, what's going on here. It's actually work, isn't it? You've really got to follow and you've got to have a nous for golf. You've got to understand the game a bit and players, which is, I think is probably what you bring above others in that you've played the game for a living. So you know what the player's perspective is like. And then you've got to know where those players are. And as they're approaching that point where they're over the odds, but they're a good chance to get the job done. He was 2,000 and something in the world, Brendan Todd. That's how far down he'd fallen. 2,000 in the world. And now he yeah. has won back-to-back weeks on the PGA Tour. And while we're about it, shout out for Brad Hughes, his coach, an Australian, two-time Australian Masters winner, and one of the really good guys of Australian golf, uh, Hugo, as most people call him. I'm sure you know Brad as well. And I know that you're a fan of his teaching, but he has... 
well, together they've worked kind of a miracle with Brendan Todd. He had full swing yips. Not a lot of people come back from that, J.E. No, well, I'll tell you, Hank Haney, who who was uh, good enough to coach Tiger during his best years, um, Hank Haney just said that there are two great performances this year and he can't split them. One is Tiger coming back and winning the Masters and Brendan and Todd coming back and winning two uh, events in a row. And he's, he's declared that there's no other possibility for Teacher of the Year of the US but Bradley Hughes. And I've followed Bradley since he started his teaching career. Um, I didn't know him very well. Strangely enough, he worked with Stevie Williams, who I did know very well. And uh, I've followed his his methodology, um, his rationale. And he, in my view, was already a great teacher. And now what he's done is put a stamp and prove it because he doesn't. He knows a lot about the game. Uh, he knows a lot about what causes things to happen. There's not much point in fixing the symptoms. You've got to find the causation. And, and I like the way he goes about that, getting to what you might call the major issues. And uh, this guy has proven it for him. And Bradley Hughes has got a, he's got 25 years of being as well known as, uh, as Haney and, um, and uh, uh, the Ledbetter and some of those. those guys, you know, he 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 hasn't picked up a good player and, and 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 kept him going. No, that's right. He's done the really hard thing and taken a player who was really struggling, who was literally thinking about giving the game away. You know, he's, this, this is this is a phenomenal teaching performance. It might be teacher of the decade. It could be, could be interesting, you know, because Hank Haney, of course, himself has the driver yips. One of the things that drove him out of the game. He got to a point where he started his um, swing. He would put the club at the top of the swing and start from there. Got to that point where he couldn't take the club away. Hank Haynes, One of the so. tragic things I ever saw on a golf course was it was Alistair Presnell's dad, Ray, who was a very close friend of mine at uh, Huntingdale. and he became captain, was he not, for many years? He became the captain of Huntingdale and did a fantastic job for Huntingdale and he also looked after a young fellow from New Zealand who was, was a favour to me, but, but Ray on the eighth tee, I'll never forget it, he, he was a good player. He played for Victoria and he got to the top of his swing, and he couldn't start down. And I'll tell you, to this day, I never want to see it again. I, no, <laughs> can't I see that. Crying, can you? crying with him. That's I'll horrible. tell you what, this was unbelievably frightening. And um, I mean, I've had the putting yips, and, and that's the best picture you'll ever see is Henry Longhurst with the yips. The putter has leapt out of his hand, and his right hand has flown off the club, and, and the putter's at sort of 25 degree angle to, to the to the horizontal. This is that is the part of the real putting yips, but uh, the full swing yips, they're a nightmare. This guy's admitted to having them. Started the, he went he went along to to a uh, a person who had stuttering problems, and he found. Uh, a psychologist who understood the concept of stuttering and this guy said looks what you got the playing the striking yips is very akin to the stuttering stuttering he said i think we can fix you so he worked on that part of it he worked on that side the mental side and bradley hughes worked on the physical and the mental side the confidence and that sort of thing and, and here, here it is it's it's an unbelievable achievement i, I don't think anybody anybody will doubt he'll be he'll be teacher of the year they're a, they're a fascinating thing the yips and golfers don't like to talk about them and understandably so i've got them with the chipping and it's horrible it's almost enough to drive you out of the game as you well know but they've done all sorts of studies and it's a anybody who hasn't had them doesn't and can't understand can they je you just hit the ball. Well, How could it be? He just hit the ball. Sam Snead had him. Sam Snead had him. Ben Hogan had him. Yep. Bernard Langer had him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jack, well, Clates often tells the story. He says, you meet a lot of blokes who miss short putts because they've got bad technique and they tell you they've got the yips. He said, the yips is when you play with Bernhard Langer, as he did in the early 80s, and you're standing off to the side of the green waiting for him to tap in a one-foot putt. And when you look up, he's marking his ball 25 feet away from the hole because that's where it's yep. ended up after he's had an uncontrollable spasm and smack the thing with the putter and yeah. it's awful so my understanding is they've done a lot of studies on it because it happens to surgeons as well and musicians funnily enough they get this yeah. the, and it's it's essentially mixed messages to the nerves so the brain sends out two polar opposite messages at the same time push and pull 
So, of course, physically, yep. what the nerves do is just they go into, it's almost like, well, you would know, it's like an electrical jolt, isn't it? You almost feel it physically, a sensation yep. of, of, of energy, uncontrolled energy in the hands and the forearms that make you almost spasm. And that well, as you know, as you know, I got the DFP, and I, I'm, I hold everything. And I hold cheating. everything. It's cheating, Jay. It's clearly cheating. If it can it's, fix you, well, it must be cheating. Listen, I was prepared to cheat, but anyway, <laughs> that's and fair only, enough too. Only two years ago, I had a putt of a one foot straight uphill at Toowoomba on the city course in the in the Legends Pro Am, and I hit the putt, and it did a complete seven twenty. Wow. Now, I've never seen a 720 in my life until that day. I stood there. It took about five minutes for it to go all the way around. <laughs> that was how bad I was, right? I, uh, now, I get up from 10 foot, I go bang. And, and the, so it, it, I've got rid of it. But, but if I take another putter, if I pick up one of those spider things or one of those other putters, I pick it up and I get over the ball and, and the thing's like a snake in the hands. It feels awful. So so anyway, go back to go back to reality you know who cares about what we do now but the, but the reality is is here as brennan todd recovered uh what a story not alcoholic but recovered problematic and uh and and and, Brent, and uh bradley hughes has done the job fantastic and what, what a story of hope for everybody who knows what that sensation is because it is a very bleak outlook if you love the game and that happens to you it takes a lot of the joy out of it as you would well know and that's a real tragedy so what a great story of hope I think Matteo Menacero and Smiley Kaufman, yep. they ought to go to Bradley. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. In two, fact, you, two, you're in complete agreement with John Huggan and Lawrence Donegan, whose podcast I was listening to this morning, who gave exactly the same advice. Whatever he's doing at the moment, Menacero, isn't working. Go see Brad. He's old school Brad Hughes. Yep. He, he played in the Pacific era. Fabulous player. People forget what a player. But he might have been one of the top ten ball strikers in the world. At the yeah. top of his game with the position. He played in the Vic Open at the age of what, 15, I think? Did he not? Yeah, he had a three iron to a foot on the last at Huntingdale. Yeah, Huntingdale, that's right. Um, and he's yeah, he's he's studied the goal swing, he understands the physics of it and all this, but he's very old school. What he teaches is very old school. It's, this has worked for generations in golf. This is how you use the body and the pivot. Uh, and he's very good. So good luck to him. He does a lot of work with Steve Elkington on uh, his website as well. But agree with you. Great bloke. Good to see him having success. Well done. Brad Hughes put us on the list of people who are impressed. Let's get to last week's results now that we've completely sidetracked the show with all that horrible talk about the Y word that nobody really wants to hear. Uh, I don't think you had a bad week last week, J.E. Tell us what... No, no, I had a good week and I nearly had a great week. We we won um, more than a unit on both top 20 bets, uh, both events. We were successful. Uh, but I did have a, a smoky called Alvaro Ortiz, whose brother Carlos is uh, uh, coming along very nicely on the US tour. And Alvaro, it might have been his first tournament as a pro. He's a Mexican and had been a top amateur. Uh, word is that he could be better than Carlos. And for three rounds, he proved that he was one shot in front of Carlos after three rounds running third. And we had tipped him at $22, the top 20. So I was sort of counting the money. I actually gone down and spent it. Hopefully <laughs> not on another Mercedes. <laughs> Listen, I, I might have sold it, I think. But anyway, Alvaro, Alvaro, uh, $22, running third, well in. Only had to wander around about 75 to make the top 20. So I was pretty confident. Anyway, he didn't. And, uh, and that just shows the differences. The brother, who had... Trailed him for three rounds, finished third, finished strongly. That that uh, PGA US PGA Tour experience, which I think the one thing that stands out US Tour players above all other players is the bounce back. They have a bogey, it's, they have a birdie the next hole, unbelievably, which shows you what enormous mental strength they've got. And poor old Alvaro, he started three pars, then he went double bogey, par double bogey, and he was gone. So we didn't quite get the big money, which I mean that would have been uh, five units from just from him alone, the, the top twenty. But we did win on both accounts, so our subscribers had a reasonably good week. Um, didn't do any money, and had plenty of fun on the way around. And we actually had Alvaro at a thousand to one. And one stage he, he, he could have won, but he didn't. So that, these things happen. These things happen when in, in our business. Yeah, indeed. But here's the thing, Jay, and this is what I was talking about earlier with with the work. You put him in the memory bank, don't you? He's going to bob up somewhere else over the odds. You'll almost guarantee it. He'll uh, he won't have he won't shorten because 
they'll look at the overall situation and he'll be a thousand to one next time he tees it up and, and I'll be Oop, did I lose you there for a minute no so look uh, well we actually should get to a tip here so yes, in the Dubai DB World Tour Championship yes. which starts this afternoon we have Jason Scrivener, an Australian boy, who's going along very nicely. Um, wouldn't have been far away from a captain's pick, I wouldn't think, in the uh, in the President's Cup. Played very consistently. He is at, it's a limited field, this, I think there's only 50 players. 50 players, top 50 on the race to Dubai, final event of the season. Right, there's 50 players, and we've got Jason at $210 the win, and he finished third last week. Third so last week, yeah. in basically essentially the same field. Exactly, two top tens in the last uh, six weeks, and uh, and uh, he's at two ten. So we got him in there, and I've also snuck him into the um, into the top twenty bets as well because I think he's big odds. There's only, there's only fifty of them. He's only got to beat thirty of them, and he's five dollars there. Don't tell anybody that. I was supposed to do that. So he's there. But anyway, the other one's Andy Sullivan, and Andy Sullivan, his record, he's run second in this event. So this is the big one. He's run second here. He's made the cut every time. He's had one other top 20, and he ran eighth two starts ago. So there, there's a man who's at $370. Again. Proven performer, really good player. Been in the wilderness a bit the last couple of years, it'd have to be said, from some real highlights a couple of years ago. But you don't lose talent, do you? Only form. Well, made three cuts in a row and finished 23rd, eighth, and, and as I say, finished second here uh, four starts ago. So... Andy Sullivan's my other tip for the DP World Tour Championship, which starts. You'll have to get on there. Because it's in Dubai, a, isn't it? It's in Dubai, yeah. I've got a, I've got a number of other uh, players, uh, both for top 10 and for for winning here, um, which uh, I think you'll find are pretty good. And I've also got, I think I put in uh, Perez for uh, top 20, yeah. Well, he, well his, his record's very impressive over the last... Uh, Anders, didn't he won the old calls in the Dunhill Links just a few weeks back? Yeah, yeah, he's got a he's got a very good record. So I've got him in at two dollars fifty for top twenty again. I think that's pretty good odds. So, so there's our tips for the DP World Tour Championship. Indeed. Let's move to the PGA Tour, the RSM Classic down in Georgia, Sea Island, uh, Sea Island, Georgia. This is essentially Davis Love's tournament, if I'm not mistaken. It's his home. Yeah, life. he's playing and. Uh, I got a sneaking suspicion he might have done a bit of redesign here, but it, they they play on the two courses, the sea, the sea course and the, and the and the inland course. They play one round on each, and then they finish off with two rounds on the sea course. Um, I've got my tips here are uh, Michael Thompson at two hundred and fifty to one, and Michael Thompson. Is uh, oh, sorry, I should have this written down here. That's right, Jay. People are used to you, mate. I know, but this is a technical area here. I don't like that. Anyway, Michael Thompson. Do you want some help? Do you want me to save you? Yeah, I don't think you got it there. What I'm looking for. Oh, you're looking for his recent form? Yeah. I can tell you, he's a good player. He's been a winner on the PGA Tour some years ago. Lost his card since then and regained it, I think. Uh, but has been good enough to win. On the tour, and that tells I me mean, if my memory serves me correctly, big tall bloke, big big unit uh, from memory. One of those guys that makes the golf club look like a teaspoon in his hand. So, but a former tour winner, two hundred fifty dollars is two hundred fifty to one's pretty fair odds, isn't it? Uh, way way over his odds on the, on other 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 uh, mm -hmm. locations. Here he is. Here he is. Here he is. Here he is. Right, his record here. Sorry, this has been a mistake of some moment here. His record of this course. 3, 10, 66, 13, 17. Uh, and he made, he finished 23rd three weeks ago. So Michael Thompson's got a fantastic record at this golf course, and that's why I've got him in there. And, and he's playing all right at this particular point in time. So that's a good combination. And as you say, $250 for that is over the odds. The other pick that you've got here for podcast, Pete, intrigues me. Uh, tell me who you've gone with and why. Luke Donald. Yeah. Uh, this golf course uh, Luke Donald I think has contended here almost every year he's played and so I thought that uh, um, he got out to enormous odds and uh, $320 Luke Donald Former number one 
winner of the money list on both the US Tour and the European Tour in the one year. Now, I know it was back in 2011, but is $320 ever legitimate odds for a player with that pedigree? Unbelievable, I thought. Unbelievable. And and and, uh, and $9.80 $9. Um, $9. for the top 20. Wow. I've got one here that you're not going to believe here. A fella called D... Donald Albert Points. DA Points. DA Points. On this course, he has missed the cut twice, but he's finished right up there a number of times. And I've got him in the top 20. He's $55, the top 20. $55 for DA Points. And I think he won uh, two years ago. So he's P- P- Pebble Beach, I'm pretty sure. He might have even won it with that lunatic Bill Murray. Was that not DA points? Didn't DA points? Yeah, win it? Yeah. DA points. I just popped, plucked this one this morning, so that's why you haven't got it. Oh, Fifty-five dollars oh, DA points. I saw it and I thought, what are you doing? So I got in there, and DA points. This golf course is very tight. There's trees everywhere, and uh, Clayton and I haven't been able to get in there. And <laughs> yeah. But uh, but points points is is it's his kind of golf course. He's he's not long off the tee, but he's pretty accurate and he puts all right. And yeah. when he gets a sniff, he, he goes on with it. So fifty five dollars da points top twenty unbelievable odds. Yep, that is crazy. Fifty five dollars in a hundred and fifty six player field. Uh... Anybody else? Uh, you had one more here in the top 20 that I've got. You had Michael Thompson in the top 20, but you've already got him. Yeah, I had Michael as well, $7.60. Yeah. But there's one other crazy. Oh, yeah, Arjun Atwell. Arjun Atwell, $38 to finish in the top 20. Now, he's not a tour where he's never won on the tour, and he's probably bounced around a bit. He, now, he was involved in a horrible car accident where somebody died, I'm going to say about 10 or 12 years ago, and there was talk that it might have been a street race. I know he was charged with something. And I'm not sure what the outcome of that was, uh, but he was a regular practice partner of Tiger Woods's back in the early 2000s. Uh, they would play a lot of practice rounds together, arguing that well. So that tells you straight off he can play because uh, Tiger doesn't well, play it up. Well, he can play it. Oh, how about this? He's had three starts here. He's finished third and tenth. Right. Well, there you go. So he's finished. He's thirty-eight dollars. So he got one at fifty-five dollars and one at thirty-eight dollars. Yeah. He's finished third and tenth on this course. And who made the cut two weeks ago? So he's he's not out of form. Uh, he's, a, he's he's a lot better player than he doesn't play enough. I think no, that's, that's his. Right. He's, he's, he's but when he off plays, the tour, and, but yeah, when he plays, he he plays well. Yeah, plays okay. So so there's so there's a it's a couple of big numbers there. One of those gets up, there'll be a big champagne. So you, you can take next week off. Uh, <laughs> LPGA final event of the year for them like the European Tour it's their final event of the year and the biggest first place check it's 3 million US dollars by the way to win uh, in Europe this week so if if Scrivener wins it he will more than double his career earnings with one week that's how big the winner's check is in Dubai this week similar situation on the LPGA I think it's 1.5 million US dollars to the winner at this week's event again top 60 only for those who've played well during the year. Uh, you found a couple of value propositions in there. Four Australians in this field, which is, uh, for the, for golf fans, that's fantastic. I'm not guessing the odds for any of them will be juicy enough, but Hannah Green, Minji Lee, Catherine Kirk, and Sue O oh all made the field. So well done to them. It's been a good year for the Australian women uh, on the world's tours. But who have you gone with on the LPGA? What was it? The, the CME Tour Championship, I think it's called. That's it. That's CME to a championship, and I thought too. I thought strongly about both Sue O and Hannah Green, but I didn't put them in. Uh, both of them have been playing very, very steadily and very well lately. But I've, I've dropped them out of there. But I have, tell you what, I've got a girl who I think was not single-handedly responsible for the Solheim Cup win, but who put up some very solid performances and turned around the European girls. At the end, Celine Boutier. She was a revelation, wasn't she, that week? We knew she was a good player, but she really played magnificently under pressure there. Yeah, well, Celine Boutier, she's uh, she's at $300 in this event, and she's been playing quite well. You know, she's, she hasn't missed up. She finished uh, 19th two weeks ago, and I thought the 300 bucks was way over there. And the other one's a girl called Ashley Buhai, who has... She's a South African girl. She hasn't missed a cut. She hasn't missed a cut here. She hasn't missed a cut. She's, she's got into a position a couple of times this year where she's challenged. 
Pretty, but I just had to, pretty sure she was there until almost the end. Right, right up till the end. And I, anyway, I put her in at $500. There's no top 20 market for the girls, uh, unfortunately, because I think we could make a big quit out of that top 20 in the girls, but they won't let us on there. So um, Ashley Boohai, $500, is my other lady's tip. Um, she, she was going to be, without doubt, the next big thing. When she was 14 years old, Ashley Simon she was then. She's married since. She's now Ashley Buhai. But at the age of 14, I think she damn near won a Ladies European Tour event at the age of 14, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Ashley Simon. And just got a little bit lost. A bit like Matteo Manicero, who finished ahead of only two players at the Q School in Europe this week. Gee, 155th, can you believe that? At 19 years old, he won the BMW PGA Champion, the flagship event of the European Tour, and only beat two blokes at the Q School this past week. And one of the nicest blokes in the game, one fantastic player. It's incredible, isn't it, this game, what it can do to people? Well, I think she, he does need... Uh, you, you said that um, that, uh, that uh, Bradley Hughes is old school. Um, I'm obviously an older school than Bradley, yeah. but it seems to me that the rules of the game, the game is a very simple game made complicated by the people who play it. Nice. It's a very simple game in principle. And I think that Matteo Manasero needs to go back to the simplicity that he would have had when he was 16. Yeah, he was a fantastic player then. And he's gone, on the, he's gone on the search for more length. And, you know, that have had the track man out and the do this and do that and get your bum out here and do all these different things. But the reality is... He needs to get back to ball position, aiming straight, getting the right distance of the ball, good balance, strong finish, which is the sort of stuff that, that he'll get from Bradley and a couple of other little tricks that Bradley's got. And uh, I, I would think that he can, he can, he'll have a year to get him back, and I reckon he could do it easy. But well, once, the, once he's got some confidence... Oh, then the sky's the limit, isn't it? So, so that's what happens. Players lose confidence, don't they? He stands over the ball. He doesn't know where it's going. And you can't, yeah. you can't play that way, no matter how good you've been in the past. But if he can get back to knowing where it's going, even just eliminating one side of the golf course might be yeah. enough to bring well, up Hank, the player in him. Hank Haney said that the Yips is a two-way miss and, and, the, uh, and, his, and his sidekick came out with these statistics that, that Manicero, who was a very short hitter, hit 47% of the fairways last year and 40% this year. Short and crooked. That's lethal. Short and crooked. <laughs> That's, and that's the, that's just that's what he calls two way miss and and uh, it's it's look the, he fundamentally had a very simple method it seems to me like it'd be pretty easy to recover that um, but you got to go back to basics and um, let's hope that um, that his advisors and, and he himself figure that out. Of course, the problem is, Jay, you can understand why the players get to a point where they start to believe because statistically it's almost true. This is the, the change in the game that those of us who've been around the game for a long time don't like is it's become very one-dimensional and that one dimension is unquestionably hitting it long. So 300 yards is the new standard. And we had Dennis Pugh on our State of the Game podcast, myself and Mike Clayton, a couple of months ago. And he said flat out, doesn't matter whether you like it or not, if you're coaching world-class players, and this is what he did with Molinari, they sat down and said, what do we need to do? Well, we need to hit it 300 yards consistently. And they set up everything about the coach, the training regime to make that happen. And bang, Francesco, who's a beautiful swinger of the golf club, who would have been a world-beater 20 years ago with that action, just couldn't keep up. Just just couldn't... Con you can't compete from 20, 30, 40 yards behind Brooks Kepka. It's not possible. And so you can understand why players have this chase for distance um, at that level. And that's the tragedy of the game. It's become... Well, I mean, more than... Ha there's 125 fully exempt players on the US Tour each year. 62 players or 63 players from memory last year, last season on the PGA Tour, averaged over 300 yards. Averaged. Yeah, well, that's 300 yards or over. So 300 is the new average. 300 is the new 250. You know, Randall Chambly said that Danny Lee, who started the show some very strong form recently, that Danny Lee, his average was 275 only two or three years ago, and he's now averaging 325. That's right. That, that's 50 yards further. Yep. With the combination of equipment and the technology and the track man and what they know about the body and what muscles to train and all those sorts of things, it's made that possible. And which is fantastic. It is impressive, J.E. You stand next to these blokes and you watch them hit this, and it's unbelievable. But the, 
The problem is that golf is a game of two factors. There's players and there's a course. And the course is integral to the competition. And the, the courses that we have are not capable of standing up to that kind of assault. They've become obsolete. And that's not good for the game. And just making them longer and bigger on a planet of finite resources is not a solution that's going to fly in the long term. Well, it hasn't worked because, you know, they've lengthened these courses by... I mean, that course last week was 7,833 yards and one bloke had three eagles in the back nine. Yeah, exactly. Well, Adam Scott said it at Medina this year. You can't make the courses long enough. It's not no. possible. Yeah. Well, there's, well, there's a word, there's a word is there, there could be changes and let's hope there is quicker rather than later. Yeah, you'd hope so because the game really is facing a genuine nexus. It, it, it re, I mean, it's already split into two games. I mean, when you played professionally, J.E., there was some level of recognition between the amateur game and the game that you played. Nicholas always used to talk about if he went to the average golf club and played off the very back tees and the club champion played off the members tees one set forward, they would have a good match. Nicholas would win because he's Jack. But they could have a match. That's just not the case anymore. Well, I played uh, with Paul Murray, who was a very, very good player. We played at Terry Hills the other day with a young guy, Brent, uh, Dale Brent Richards, who's just got his card and that's it and we were playing off the blue tees and Dale was playing off the black tees and he was 50 yards past us so he's what 70 yards longer 80 yards longer yeah 80 90 yards longer right I I, I can't see the ball like the ball goes too fast I'm trying to follow the ball where's the ball gone Paul I've got no idea he said so you get there you drive to your ball hit your shot and then you keep driving about 100 yards (laughs) and there he is and of course that and it's right through the bag J.E. So even if you happen to be next to him, you're hitting a seven iron. He's hitting a pitching wedge. Yeah, no, no. Well, well, that's right, that's right. But he's the thing is, he's not. He's hitting a chip. He's hitting a chip, and you're hitting a three wood. Yeah, that's exactly. That's reality. So, um, that, it's just if if you if you take all the emotion out of it and your attachment to the game, and you just looked at it in terms of common sense, you, nobody could advise the game to continue going down this path. It doesn't make any sense for the future of the game. It's just not sustainable. It's not going to work if they. It's not going to work because there's no going to be nowhere to play. And if you're in the business of golf, ultimately, you're only going to hurt yourself if you continue to push for this as the model for the future. Because yeah. they brought out a ball. Bridgestone brought out a trial ball the other day, and they gave it to uh, Kucher, Matt Kucher, and he said, "I oh, hit it ten yards further." It's a trial ball. I hit it ten yards further. And then apparently they gave it to a young bloke who's, who's not a, you know, he's a 15, 16-year-old. He did it a yard further. So where's the advantage of that? Why have they got a ball that, that a, a tour pro could hit 10 yards further and the average player can't hit it at all? It's backwards. They ought to have the ball so that the poor guys who, the average handicap of players hasn't changed much from about 17.5 in the last 50 years. Why not give that that player an advantage and take back from the players that don't need it. And now and now your your venues, your golf courses, um, become relevant and, and, and at the moment they're not. We'll, we'll finish up on this shortly because this is a it's a it's, <laughs> it's an old chestnut that I I bang on about a lot as anybody who's listened to any of my other podcasts would know and a lot of people do because it's a legitimate concern. But we're going to watch the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne in a few weeks, J.E. You'll be there, which is going to be fantastic. We'll get to walk around the course a bit together if your hip's up to it. But the golf we're going to see from these players on that golf course, even since what we watched in 2011, is going to be a different game again, so much has the distance changed. And that's it will be masked by the fact that it's match play, but people would find confronting what will happen to that on that golf course that week if they were adding up the numbers, just the clubs that they'll be hitting into the greens. I mean, it's effectively a par 68 golf course. Well, here's the... Nothing wrong with the golf course, Jay. Nothing wrong with it at all. It's still one of the world's 10 best golf courses. Oh, well, it's it's probably probably right there in the top three in the world, that golf course. But here's the problem. When we played that in tournaments, I played with Trevino there in 1976, and we hit four irons into the second on the east. Which is which was the fourth on the tournament course. We had four irons in there. That's one down the hill and then up the hill, little left to right. Down the hill, right now, now that now, what you had to figure out there was how far it would run. It's, you're hitting it into an uphill, hard, firm uphill, very long green with a very steep advancing slope, 
and a bunker at the back, which you couldn't afford to go in, or you're going to take a million, right? So yeah, but the pin's at the back, so you've got to get it just short of the pin, going up a, a parabolic rise from well below with a four iron. Now that is a test of skill. Mm -hmm. But these guys are going to drive the ball so far down there that they're going to be going into that hole with a wedge, and they can fly the ball past the parabola. So in other words, they can fly the ball up onto the flat and know that the ball will stop, even though the ground might be very firm and hard. And then the next hole, the fifth hole, for us, that could that was generally a five iron. And these guys are going to go in there with a nine iron. Well, the difficulty, the difficulty with a five iron was you had to pitch it just on the green to keep it on the green. And if you did, and if it didn't keep it on the green, you were going to take five or six. I think I think uh, Bubba Watson part of that down over the green into the rough from past as, the as did Jason Day in 2011 from above the hole there. That's <laughs> frightening. The object is you've got to hit a shot that's you've got to feather a shot. We had to feather a shot in there that wouldn't run too far. These guys are going in there with a nine iron. Well, I mean, with a put me with a nine iron and I, I could pitch it within a yard. So that's that that's what's the danger is, is that all of the great fundamental questions that Royal Melbourne asked were asked of mid-irons yeah. and maybe seven-irons, but they're not asked of a wedge. You, you know, there's hardly a question you can ask with a wedge. And, of course, the reality is, J.E., that all of the modern players are good enough to hit that four-iron shot just like Trevino. In fact, you'd find out who the best ones were if that was the case. It's just that with the equipment and the way the game is played, that's not what is a successful formula anymore. But ultimately, the people who really suffer is the wrong word, but the real victims of all of this are the spectators. Because do you know what we will never get to see again is the joy of watching the equivalent of Jack Nicholas in the modern era stand in the fairway at the 15th at Augusta National trying to decide whether it's worth the risk of hitting a one-iron and trying to carry it across the water and stop it on the green before it goes over the other side and runs down the hill into the water there. Yeah, well, that, that's more than a six iron into that green now. Even the short yeah. hitters. Yeah, now that's those are the questions. The questions that they're not asked. I mean, you know, with, uh, uh, some, some Royal Melbourne was such a great course to, to play in a golf tournament because the whole way round, it was asking questions of you. Yeah. And if you overcame it and shot sixty eight or sixty nine, you got in and you sat in and you felt you felt like you were God. Yep. You know. But if you went out there and it beat you up, as it did quite a lot of us on a couple of very strong Norwester days, then you shot 76, and you walk in thinking that the world had come to an end, you find that everybody shot 76. <laughs> You're actually running third. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't too bad after well, all. One year, I think Bobby Shearer won it with 100, and I think 23 over was on the leaderboard. That was how, that was how tough it was. Yeah. And, but but the, that's what we... It was, it was, that was what made that golf course so much fun, because... You had to work out exactly what was going to happen when the ball hit the ground. Well, they don't have to worry about that much as much now as, as we did, which is a shame. And let's hope. Shame, I said they're, they're good enough to do it. I'd love to be able to watch it again. It's, you, you watch old videos of golf at Royal Melbourne and Augusta National and old PJ. It's fantastically entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it was fantastic the entertainment to play too. That was the beautiful part. It was. It was. It was. Like, I mean. Going and playing in Britain, and uh, as, as uh, you know, I know many of my contemporaries played a lot in Britain. I didn't play a lot in Britain, but I played enough to know that when I went over there, that it was a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it, too, too much a test of execution is not entertaining, and too much a test of just thinking is not entertaining. The combination, when it's right, of the two, the players that when they're forced to think and then execute, that's when golf's at its absolute best. That, that's when it's that's worth watching and playing and that's when the truly special things happen isn't it? That is when you know, who, who could forget if you're a golf fan Faldo in the 13th fairway at the 96 Masters on Sunday trying to choose fidgeting between a 2 iron and a 5 wood for that second shot into the 13th green which is exactly what Bobby Jones said about that hole that should be a momentous decision to decide whether to go for that green and he yeah, spent well, 5 minutes deciding between those two clubs and they spent the club spent three years figuring out how many millions they were going to pay for the neighbouring course so they could put the tee back sixty yards. Yeah. And what happens? What happens when the next generation come out and hit at four hundred yards instead of three fifty? They're going to they, they turn three woods around the corner there now and hit six and seven irons in there at most. They're going to have to go and buy the whole state. Yeah, 
it just uh, anyway let's uh, not burn that uh, just finally just to finish up on the President's Cup I know that you were intrigued by Brooks Kepka is out the world number one player his knee injury has not repaired enough for him to commit to play at Royal Melbourne so Woods has had to choose somebody else he's gone with Ricky Fowler JE I know that you weren't overly impressed with that why not well Ricky Fowler finished 11th, so he missed out on an automatic by one. And and Ricky Fowler's, don't get me wrong, Ricky Fowler's one hell of a good player, and he hadn't got a bad President's Cup record either. But Ricky Fowler's been making babies. He's just he's just um, uh, got married, and he's been on a honeymoon, and he hasn't played since August. And I think it's the stupidest decision of, of Tiger Woods. Well, not necessarily the stupidest. <laughs> yeah, that's a competitive Tiger. category, J.E. If you think back a bit, he might have made a couple of others he's sorry for. I, I thought about that, but it's, it's certainly uh, Tiger hasn't covered himself with glory as a team man and, a, as, a, and as a team member, uh, and and I and I think this is just this is just nepotism gone crazy. There, he had three very very solid potential choices. He had Kevin Kister, who won the match play, a proven match player with a solid record this year. He had Kevin Nah, who had a who's had a very good year, won twice. And then he had Brendan Todd, who's got to be the form player in the world and who's recovered and is a great story and would have been everything that, that, that would have been needed for the communication bureau. Might have, might have even managed to get Hugo on the bag, who knows Royal Melbourne as well as anybody yeah. else. Don't mention that. Uh, I, I, I said to him, if you start coming out of your caddying for the Americans, don't expect to get past the <laughs> but, but Anyway, the, the, the thing was, those were the choices that the Tiger had and and... He is, in a way, I think, diminished the American view of this event. And the best thing that we can do is stuff them, yeah, and then tell them up. And then all of a sudden, the panic will come on then, and they'll have to start thinking about this thing as what it, what it ought to be. The big problem, I think, with the game as the PGA Tour running it is they've forgotten it's a competition. They now go and photograph Phil Mickelson shooting twelve over par and watch him the whole day. Well, we don't want to see that. It's an interesting time, isn't it, J.E.? Because, of course, the game no longer... So it, it's, and it's a problem we have here in Australia because we've got so much access to top-quality golf through pay TV, which we never had until, what, 10 or 12 years ago, that you can't interest people enough to get off their couch without a certain level of play. Now, there are certain players who demonstrably move the needle. And in America, Phil Mickelson is one of them. So if you work in television... Your job is to get as many eyeballs as you possibly can on the product that you've got. And if all of the statistics tell you that what you do to, to achieve that is put Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods on the screen, then that's what you do. It doesn't matter how much other people complain. But over here, we don't get to see much golf so often. But what happens is because we... Uh, 2006, Jeff Ogilvy won the US Open. I went to the Australian Open later that year at Royal Sydney. He teed off early in the morning on the Thursday, admittedly, 7.30 or something. I reckon there were 10 of us watching. The reigning U.S. Open champion, so blasé is the fan now to to the quality of golf that can be played by people who aren't particularly high profile. I mean, 30 years ago, the only time you got to see any golf was when it was on in Sydney, so you went and watched it. Yeah. It's not the case anymore. So it's a, it's now a media game. Television rights dictate everything. That's where the money comes from. And so that's how you get yourself into a situation where no longer is the golf covered for the quality and the sake of the golf it becomes almost reality TV. And it's it is. It's real, well, the worst part, it's on reality TV. I mean, if it was reality TV, you'd be watching the leaders. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. it, is, so it is. Which goes part of the way to explaining the Fowler decision. Now, there'd be all sorts of pressures on Woods. I agree with you. He hasn't been a great team man over the years. I don't think he's that interested in it, frankly. Uh, he's said various things about the Ryder Cup over the years, which would make you think, mm, he could probably quite happily live without it. He's not the first great player to be that way and as a in a lone wolf sport you can understand why somebody might not be wired particularly well to flick a switch once a year and become a team player I get that but the pressures on him from outside about everything not to do with the golf I mean he himself when he won in Japan that was an enormous weight off his shoulders because he could legitimately pick himself the pressure on him to pick himself no matter what happened in Japan would have been enormous commercially the Victorian government would have been sweating on Tiger Woods playing because that's what the crowds want to see. It's what the international audience wants to see. It's what the television cameras want to see. Uh, the people selling the tickets, the PGA Tour themselves, even if it was unspoken, he knew that the key to this whole event really is him playing. So he did the right thing by winning in Japan and making it essentially an automatic pick of himself. 
But if he hadn't won in Japan, he probably still would have had to pick himself regardless because of all the other factors that have got nothing to do with the golf. It's a big business, Jay. They, I don't know what the, the Victorian government's invested in the President's Cup, but it's multiple millions of dollars. And you don't say to investors, look, we've got this product which could have gone really, really, really well, but he's not playing so well at the moment, so he didn't pick yeah. himself. And all you're going to see of him is sitting in a golf cart. Sorry, fellas, that's not what we put the money in for. Yeah, we've got Marilyn Monroe, but she's gonna, she's not going to wear, she's not going to come along to the game. She's that's just right. She's, she's, wearing, room. she's wearing a, a, a full cardigan and a pair of long pants that are loose. Yeah. It's not going to work. I know you're making a lot of things that are And Ricky Fowler's a part of that. He's extremely marketable. The problem for the President's Cup is it needs to have some close competitions. So in that sense, Tiger's done the event a favour. If Ricky's not competitive, fantastic. That gets us closer to being able to contend. This is the only venue where they've ever won the internationals. Um, yeah, and still on paper, and after what happened in 2011, you've got to say that the Americans are by far and away the favourites. But if they can get some close competitions, they've had a couple of times. 2003, it was tied in South Africa. The one in Korea in 2015 was a phenomenal finish. But we saw last year in New York, they almost didn't need to play the singles. That's embarrassing. Nobody yeah. wants to watch that. Well, Nobody wants to play in that. I'm very pleased to see that you think that Tiger's doing us all a favour. So, so, uh, so let's hope that he, let's hope that uh, we we uh, I'm backing them. I'll tell you, I'll be tipping them that week. Get, get up. I'm tipping them. I'm, I'm tipping the the internationals, yeah. and um, and I'm going to be I'm going to get out there with a heater and make sure that they're hard. <laughs> If we get that northwesterly, that hot northerly wind, if that comes through, that's what won it for us in '98. Let's be honest, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Britton, who did his time at uh, Royal, um, and I think might have even worked for uh, Claudie Crockford, who was uh, uh, the doyen of Greenkeepers and wrote a fantastic book. But Stephen Britton said he's been keeping a very... He's now... I mean, he might even be the superintendent at Wingfoot, but he's now keeping a close eye. And he says that the weather patterns aren't necessarily heading towards fast and loose. So... He's and he knows the course as well as anybody. So he, he's his word is that it might not be as quick as we'd like it. Hmm. Well, that'll be well. It'll be interesting, won't it? I mean, they're all good enough. They're world class players for a reason. I think we discussed this last week. They turn up at a golf course on Tuesday, and by Wednesday afternoon, they figured it out. Uh, <laughs> having played it before is a help, but. You know, Dustin Johnson doesn't need 10 rounds at Royal Melbourne to figure the golf course out. He can do what he wants with the ball. He's got all the power on hand that he that he might need. So those changing conditions is... and that, To my mind, what happened in 98, you had Norman and Elkington in the team and Craig Parry, uh, Nobolo and Turner, both familiar with Royal Melbourne. When the hot northerly hit, which is a horrible, horrible win to try and play golf on that golf course, they had five or six blokes on the team who could say to partners, no, 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 don't hit it what looks to be the obvious shot here. You need to do this. Whereas the yeah. Americans just got blown off the course. They played what looked to be the right shots and were no doubt happy with the way they were flying when they hit them and then saw where they'd finished. They had these diabolical recoveries, which you just couldn't you couldn't play. And that was that's about the only local knowledge, I think, that can be is those fluky wins at Royal Melbourne that can really change things. Because at Royal, you can hit it in spots, J.E., that are literally unplayable, no matter how good you are. Yeah, I think Turner had won either the Johnny Walker or the Australian PGA at Royal Melbourne. Nobolo, well, yeah. well, he definitely won one, either one of those tournaments there. And Nobolo had run second as well. And they had that they had that wonderful experience. I, I don't think uh, I don't think you're quite right about this particular course that Dustin Johnson will get it right within two days. And I'm prepared to bet against Dustin Johnson on this course. On this course. I'll make you one bet. I will bet you that Dustin Johnson never again in his life hits it over the back of the 10th hole of Royal Melbourne West, no matter what number it's playing for the President's Cup routing. Which you can do. It, we, uh, he did it. off the tee last yeah, well, time around and yeah. swiped it a number of times before ultimately saying to whoever he was playing against, pick it up, let's go to the next tee. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I'll tell you what. If he has a go at the green, he'll be down on the ninth fairway. No, nothing sure. Yep, possibly. If you see him pull out a five iron, then you know that he's learned something. 
Yep, and I, I suspect he has. But look, it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. It's uh, it's such a great golf course. You can watch 15 markers play around that golf course and enjoy the experience, Jay. Or I could. I've always found it's, it's just such an interesting probably seen more. Of, you've probably seen more of them play there than I have. Well, yeah. when I given that I mix in that milieu, unlike you, <laughs> yes, I've seen a few more 15 markers going there. But it's a, it is just such a spiritual and fantastic place. Um, I interviewed the the uh, course super there for one of my other podcasts I do. Terrific bloke, Richard Forsyth. Uh, he's a really good guy, and it'll be really interesting to see how the course has turned out. Uh, really enjoyed talking to him. So, look, that's going to be the event of the... Well, I can't think of anything I'm looking forward to more from the last five years or the five years after it. It's going to be fantastic that week at, uh, at Royal Melbourne. So, And looking forward to seeing you there, Jay. That will be fantastic as well. Lordy Crockford wrote the book on uh, how to look after a golf course on the Melbourne Sandbell, and... Peter Thompson asked me to try to get it published, and I finished up editing it, and I edited the whole book, and uh, it finally got published. Peter finally published it, and I provided the uh, the copy through my Apple IIe computer for him, and I want to tell you that I learned one hell of a lot about um, maintaining Royal Melbourne and what Claude Crockford wanted to achieve there by by actually just doing that. It was a fantastic experience to have been lucky enough to have had that job. Well, get that hip fixed, J.E., because who knows? If someone gets injured and they need the late call-up, they'll want somebody with experience and knowledge of the course. Who knows? You're still a PGA Daddy. member. You're eligible. Daddy. No, no, I don't think I'm eligible. <laughs> Daddy. I could be a caddy, though. Uh, yeah, you could, caddy. That would be... Uh... Well, that'd be well. Caddies will come into their own way. Look, we've banged on for way too long. There's a, 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 when the summer of golf approaches, Je, all of my golf conversations they they go thirty percent longer than they do for the rest of the year. I'm excited. I'm out at New South Wales Open next week at Twin Creeks. We've got the Australian Open the week after, Presidents Cup the week after that. So three fabulous. If you, if you like your golf, uh, now is a fantastic time of year. So if you can get to any of those events, fully recommend it. There's nothing like golf. At the course, is there, Jay? You can watch as much television as you like, but nothing compares to going to the golf course and watching and hearing the contact of club on ball that the professionals have. Yep, and seeing it. So uh, so we'll see you. I'll see you. I'll be talking to you next week again, but uh, I'll see you at Royal Melbourne for sure. I'm looking, very much looking forward to that. Yep, me too. All right. Uh, appreciate you guys sticking around. Thank you, Jay. Good to have you on board today for as long as I've kept you. Thanks for that, mate. Thank you, Rod. Thank you again for your uh, fine uh, presentation. I've been re- I've been listening to a couple of your podcasts recently, which have been the one the other day, um, which with well, the good, good, the good, good podcast was just outstanding. I really, I, I had a great little uh, hour and a half listening to that. It was fantastic. Two very, very smart blokes in Adrian Logue and Derek Duncan, who co-host that with me, and two very interesting and smart fellas, and I agree, I always enjoy listening to Just take it a bit easy, Jay. You don't want to overdose on me, apparently. I've been told that by more than one person over time as well, so just... Don't listen to them. And, yeah, and listen, incidentally, too, good luck with the firefighting. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. At this stage, it hasn't arrived, but we're kind of waiting for it, and... All indicators are that at some point it's going to get it. You know, part of me, J.E., for those people who don't realise, one, the audio quality is what it normally is today because I'm at home rather than at the studio. Two, the reason I'm at home is because there's fires sort of in the area live up here in the bush. For 15 years I've lived here, J.E., and for 15 years every summer, every day of every summer, you've got that little niggling thing in the back of your mind. Is it going to be this year, the fires? And frankly, part of me just thinks, I just wish they'd come and be done with it. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And just get it done because the the living with the constant fear of it is almost, I think, as unpleasant as if their fires actually come. So I'm not wishing for them in that sense, but uh, if they come, so be it. The, the bush is ready. I can tell you that, Jay. You... Well, don't be frightened to get out of there. Oh no, I, I'll be the first one out. Don't worry about. It. I'll be pushing the women and kids aside. That's me. I'll be doing the George Costanza. I'm not silly enough for that. That. Thanks for your thoughts. Appreciate that. Thank you to the, or any of the listeners who are still with us. Thank you. I uh, hope you've enjoyed our rantings. Hope there's some good value betting in all of that. Hopefully we have a win. We'll come back next week and tell you all about it on episode 19 of Risk and Reward.